Corinthians 13 because it helps us to see that final part of judgment. And then we want to move on to the marriage of the Lamb and then the supper of the Lamb. Two different events, but yet in the same meaning. It almost follows like our own things in marriage. You have the wedding, and then you have the large banquet afterwards. Uh, and uh, we want to see also, what does it mean when he says that the church or the bride makes herself ready? Makes herself ready. You know, we want to be able to understand that. But we also want to finish up with that judgment seat of Christ. And Jesus says he doesn't judge alone, but that his father also judges with him. And he speaks what he hears his father say. And he says, there is one that will judge you. He says his word will judge you. Not so much him, but his word. His word will judge so when you're standing before him, the question going to be this. Did you do this? Are some of you cold? Okay, I just want to make sure. Melvin raised his hand, a little chilly. Oh, you're, you're okay, okay. All right, just want to make sure. And the whole process boils down to that. Jesus says, it's my word, because everything we're supposed to do is in that word. Now we got to dig into the word to discover how we are to live because most of us think as long as I live the best I can, I'll be all right. No. I got to learn how to live according to this word. And, and don't worry about it. You won't be perfect. You're going to have your failures. You're going to have your ups and downs. But that word will sustain you. That word will keep you. Because that word is what you're going to be judged by. Now, over in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 13, he's going to give us a little bit of what that judgment is going to look like. I said chapter 13, chapter 3, 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, he's going to bring us to that place, 9 through 15, that we can see a little bit of this judgment. And I want you to take note of something. That if you're a Christian and you're choosing to live in sin, that's a choice that you make. And you know that it's contrary to God's word. Don't look for God's blessings. Don't look for all of God's assistance in your life. Why? Because you have chosen to live like the world rather than like Christian. And you can do that because that's the freedom that God has given you. And yet, yes, because you have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved. And sometimes that's a puzzlement to us who are Christians. Because we're saying, how can they be Christians and live that way? Well, when we get into God's word, boy, we find a lot of Christians live in a dishonorable way towards the Lord. 
But we have to come back and accept exactly what his word is telling us. So pick up in verse 9 in chapter 3. He says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Who's building your life if you're lying? God. You're his field. Everything about you belongs to him. We looked at that also. That he has bought you with a price. And you are no longer your own, but you're his. And here he says, you are God's workman. You are God's field. And it is God who is doing the work in your life. By the grace of God, by the grace God has given me, I lay a foundation. Now, listen to what Paul does. He says, I'm laying a foundation. Now, you're working with Jesus Christ laying a foundation. Now, again, remember the story of the three little pigs and how they built. And only one of them's house was able to stand because he built it out of bricks. And Satan's going to come and he's going to blow and blow and he's going to do all he can do to blow your house down. And the question is, how is your house really built? How is your life built? And he says, For by the grace of God has given me, I lay a foundation as an expert builder. And someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he should what? Build. Each person should really look at how they're building their life. Is it according to the word of God? Or isn't it? You're the only one who can answer that. If you're really living in agreement with the word of God. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is who? Jesus Christ. Now you're building upon this foundation of Jesus Christ. And you start your building fire. What are you building with? Because you're laying whatever it is upon that foundation that Christ has already laid for you. The first block, or first couple of blocks that are laid, are laid on the foundation, but they're still in the ground. And then when you start coming out of the ground, you begin to see the red brick. <laughs> Or you begin to see the wood. <laughs> you begin to see something else. But that foundation is in the ground that's not seen. But it's there. And he says, If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Now, he just named a different type of material that you can use in your building. And that's the thing that we have to examine. He says, again, if any man builds on this foundation using gold, now that's precious. Silver, valuable, precious. Costly stones, rubies, diamonds, so that's precious. Now, 
all three things that are mentioned beforehand are stronger than wood. Is stronger than hay or straw. Is your choice of how you're going to build. Keep your finger there. Go over to 2 Timothy. Keep your fingers there in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want you to pick up with me in verse 19. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are what? Now you can tell me all day long that you're saved. All I can do is accept what you what? what you said. But who knows the truth of that? God does. God knows if you're really his or not. God knows. Now the only other person who really knows that is you. Now, your question is is simply this. Lord, really show me my heart. Why? You can deceive yourself because the heart is deceitfully wicked and who can know it but who? But God. God, when I say I love you, show me if I really love you. Now that's some prayer to pray. Because when God begins to work in that prayer, asking you to let this go, let that go, but I don't want to let these things go. He's showing me how much love I really have for who? For him. So I need to even check my own heart because I'm saying one thing with my mouth, but my heart is far from him. And he knows it. The one he has to bring the real light to now is me. Is me. That I really do love him. He says, The Lord knoweth those that are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Now, that's one of the signs that you can see within your own life. Are you turning away from sin? Are you turning away from wickedness? Are you turning away from it? If you're not turning away from it, then there's a question mark that you have to really look at. Now, a lot of us today, we don't know what sin is because we go by what the world says is bad, not what Scripture says. And the world will never say, this is sin or that is sin or this is wrong. The world's out trying to please everybody. That's why we got all these different labels uh, between male and female, what they are and how they work and so forth. That's the world. Bring it into scripture and God's view is only man and woman. 
Sex is only legal where at? Within the marriage. Everything outside the marriage is adultery, fornication, just sinfulness. But we've accepted what man said. Oh, you just got to have two people to care for each other. That's not what the word says. And he says, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, now catch this, because this is the part that sometimes we stumble over. See, I'm not God, you're not God. You can't see my heart, I can't see your heart. I can't even read your mind, and you can't read my mind. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of what? Wood and clay. Some of noble and some that are not very noble. Some that are pure and that which is not pure. You have that in God's house. Now, I hope your desire would be you want to be gold and silver. That you want to be a precious stone. You really don't want to be the straw, the wood. You don't want to be one of those lesser valued materials. But you rather have your house, your life built from the gold and the silver and precious stones. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 because he allows us to see this judgment that takes place. He says, Again, picking up in verse 13. The work will be shown for what it is. Your life is going to be shown for what it really is. Was it honorable unto the Lord Jesus Christ? Or was it dishonorable to the Lord Jesus Christ? Your life will be shown. It's not going to be hid. Because one day everybody is going to be able to see what your life was like. If I can let you in on a little secret, most people already know. As much as we try to keep our life private, today there's no such thing as private. You'd be surprised if you just put your name into the computer and you really know how to use that computer, what all you can come up with. And he says, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. So it's going to be tested with fire. Now, when you put fire to straw or to wood, what happens to it? (laughs) Yeah. Precious stones can take quite a bit of heat. Silver and gold can take quite a bit of heat. They might melt, but they're there. And matter of fact, with gold and silver, it just continues to purify it. But he says, this is what's in the house of God. People of gold, silver, precious stone, then wood, hay, and stubble. And the word stubble is just that stuff you would throw out, but it's in there. 
And he goes on, he says, is going to be tested for his quality. Each man's work, each person's work is going to be tested in verse 13. Then in 14 he says, if what he has been, if what he has built survives, he will receive his what? Reward. Now, some of our works will survive. Some are going to burn up because they're just wood, hay, and stubble. So there's no reward, basically, for those whose lives are nothing more than what? Wood, hay, and stubble. They will not be receiving any reward at the judgment seat of Christ. But those who are built on gold, silver, precious stones that doesn't burn up, they receive a reward. They're going to receive something. Again, he says in 14, if what he has built survives, he will receive a reward. Very clear. Then in 15, he says, if it is burned up, he will suffer loss. What's the loss that he suffered? He doesn't get a reward at the judgment seat of Christ. There's no reward given to that individual. And then he goes on and he says, he will suffer loss. Now here comes the important little part that confuses us sometimes as Christians even. Because like I said, as Christians, the word tells us not to judge, but what do we do? We do a lot of judging, don't we? Sometimes we go too far. A lot of people have been hurt in the church because the church has judged them in an unworthy what? Manner. Now, we need to remember the story with Jesus with the woman caught in adultery. Is there any of you here without sin? Pick up the stone and throw it. There's not one of us that could do that. But we're so quick to condemn somebody else. Now, that puts a two-edged sword with the church. Because the church is not to allow you to just live in sin and not say what? Nothing. The church can't do this. If we see it, if we see our brother or sister in a fault or in sin, we are to what? Tell them. If we hear it, and if some reliable choice from, from reliable people... We need to say something. And we need to learn how to speak the truth in love. Not in a way that, boy, really tears a person down. We're not out to just cut somebody, to hurt somebody. The goal of the church ought to be to build everyone. Never put Pastor Brown on a pedestal. I was telling the story the other day, Greg... Boy, Elaine and got me in knots. Hey. And I came over here and I was mopping this floor. Greg came in, he said, Pastor, what are you doing? I said, I'm working through my anger. And it didn't take long either. <laughs> and, 
And, and, and sometimes you just now you have to separate, get yourself through it, <laughs> you know, just do something because we're not perfect. We're not perfect. And, and the thing is, is simply this here. I'm still in the house of God. And God is still for me. It's not about my past, per se. It's my future God's looking at. My future, not my past. And the church should take that. What can be this person's future if they really fall in love with Jesus? What would be this future's this person's future if they really walk with the Lord? What would be this person's future? Not so much about their past. If it burns up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the fire. What does the verse say? That person will still be what? Saved. They have no rewards. They get no honorable mention. They get nothing, but he says this, they're still saved, they're still in my kingdom. That speaks value about God. I don't have to be a perfect person to be loved by him or to be in his kingdom. But my goal should be, and I should be striving to win a prize. I should be running in such a way that I want to be in first place. I should be living in such a way that my life is gold, silver, and precious stones. And there's things that I should want better for myself because that's what God wants for me. That's what God wants for me. If he didn't want that, he would have left me right where he found me. He wouldn't teach me. But the Word of God will teach you, educate you, and help you move on up if you want to. If you want to. And he says, yes, they will be saved, but only as one escaping through the fire. Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Anyone. Put yourself in that anyone. It's not that God withholds a reward from you. You have destroyed that opportunity yourself. Yourself. Now, as we move into Revelations chapter 19... Because after the judgment, judgment seat of Christ, we go into that area called the marriage lamb or the wedding of the lamb. I want you to hang on to what we just went through with 1 Corinthians 13. Because it's so important that we're able to put it here together also. So, the first thing you hear in that chapter 19 is this rejoicing. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Why? Because now the true marriage of the church in Jesus Christ is about to take place. 
this union is about to be completed. How many of you have attended a marriage, and after the marriage, you say about the couple, amen, now it's complete. Before, it was only an announcement about the marriage. But after marriage, and at the end of the marriage, they are one. That union is truly there now. And here at the wedding, this union between Christ and the church is completed and is now one. And then what follows it is the wedding supper that follows the wedding of the Lamb. So you have the singing and all the praising, all the rejoicing. And that's what usually happens before a wedding takes place. But then when you get down into verse 7, he says, let us rejoice. Let us rejoice. Why? We're there. We're there at this wedding now. We are there. I don't care what you went through. You're there. Have you ever talked to a young man or a young woman who said, I would have never have thought that they would have married me. I would have never dreamed that I would be marrying this woman. I would have never dreamed that I would have been married to this man. That's what's going to be shared in our hearts in a sense. Because now it's there right before us. That we are married to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the groom. We are the bride. He's the groom. We are the bride. And he says, let us rejoice and be glad. And give him glory. Why? He's the one who brings it to his full tuition. He's the one who came seeking us. He's the one who prepares us to be his bride. He's the one who woos us, who keeps coming after us, keep desiring us, keep wanting us. He's the one. Any man who will chase after a woman in that fashion will catch that woman eventually. If that woman is really loved by that man, cared for by that man, wooed by that man, chased after by that man. I was talking with a young lady not too long ago, and I simply said to her, because she was kind of down, because the young man that she was looking at and so forth started dating another woman, and she could feel the change in the relationship that they were going through. And I told her, if he would have really desired you and wanted you, he would have went through high waters and no matter what, he would have continued to chase you and woo you. Nothing wrong. Ladies, if you don't believe in nothing else, believe that. Nothing wrong with playing hard to get. Make him at least have a good run after you. Don't worry. After he gets you, he'll stop running. But during the chase, make him run. Make him really chase after 
you. And he says, boy, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride, here comes the key words now here, has made herself ready. The bride has done what? Made herself ready. Now, I have seen some young ladies come in, and I'm looking at them, and I'm saying, why? The hair is all over the place. This isn't made up. That's not made up. But somehow they go in that room and something changes. Because when they come out, they don't look like when they went in there. And all you can do is say, wow. What a transformation. Boy, she really is beautiful. Because something has taken place. And it is said that he makes her what? Ready. And remember the groom? And I made sure he doesn't see her. Because she's really being made ready for what purpose? For him. Well, Jesus sees us, but he gives us everything that is needed for us to make ourselves ready for him. Now, he gives it to us. And that's what's important to really understand. There's no excuse not to be in your white gown. There's no excuse for your hair not being done. There's no excuse for you being the most beautiful, beautiful bride that you can be in his presence. No excuse. And he says, has made herself ready. Now the question is, how does she make herself ready? Turn over to Ephesians. Chapter 5. And remember, he's the one who gives, and he's going to bring it out in the text. He's the one who gives you those things that allow you to make yourself ready. In verse 25, we're going to start. We're going to walk down through this, and we'll have to pick it back up on 4th Sunday, most likely. It's surprising how fast time goes once I get up here. I can be in my basement, and I can preach through all this in 15 minutes. He says, husbands... Love your wives. Now, now, men, understand something. That's not an option. That's a command. That's a command to men, to men to love their wives, because men will love anything. And he, he nails it down to wife. Love your wife, period. No one else, because everybody's not your wife. But love your wife. Is the command. You'll never find that command for women in the Bible. But it's for the man. For the man wins the wife. The man wins the woman. And he goes on, he says, 
Just as Christ loved the church. Now look at the first thing he did. Now understand, if you cannot distinguish between selfishness and someone willing to give to you, even though they hurt, that they're willing to make that sacrifice for you, you won't understand love. Love sacrifices itself for the other. And a lot of women are not understanding that today. You want someone who's willing to give themselves all that they are for you. And that's what Jesus does. He gives all that he is to the bride. And he says he gave himself and gave himself up for her. He died for her. He died for the church. He died for his bride. He left his throne in heaven to come here. He sacrificed. He gave up, in a sense, his divinity in one sense. Put it to the side that he might capture his bride. He gave up. If a man's not willing to bring his check home, just give it to you, you need a question mark. Now, I... Men, some of you are saying, uh-uh, that ain't going to happen. If you're not willing to spend for her, then you really don't love her. If you're not willing to care for her, and it's not a 50-50 deal, you're really not loved. Because he's willing to give of himself everything for you. And he says, he gave himself up for her. Then he's going to tell us the reason why. To make her holy. To make her holy. I'm going to give you an illustration in my own family. I had a very rough sister, the oldest one. Many had the skills of a secretary. Many was bright as could be. But the only type of life many enjoyed was the bar life, and she was a barmaid. Anything I wanted to know about somebody in Akron, I'd go ask many. Because so much is said in bars that people forget. But many married a very nice young man by the name of Robert. I'll never forget him. Robert tried to talk her out of being in the bar, come on home, just be a wife. Worked two jobs. Now, my sister Minnie was a mess. Minnie had shot one man, and Minnie always kept her machete not too far. And she cut Robert up so bad one day she had to take Miss Suma and Robert's mother had to come down and get him from Chicago, take him back home. But that man loved Minnie. Now look what Jesus said. He gave himself to make you holy. He gave himself to make his bride holy, his church holy. 
some of us is like my sister Minnie. We're cutting him up. Because we really don't appreciate the love that he shows us and what he's done for us. And we're cutting him up with our sin. We're cutting him up with our disobedience. We're cutting him up with our disloyalty. We're cutting him up because we don't honor him. We're hurting him. And yet he still loves us. Amazing. He gave himself for us. I'm just going to finish this part out and then we'll be closing here. He gave himself for us that we might be holy. And understand the word holy also means to be separated. A reason a man marries you is to separate you from all other men. And he can say, you're my wife. You're my wife. And Jesus is able to say to the church, you're my bride. You're mine. You're separated from the world and all the things of the world. I'm making you holy. I'm separating you from everything else. I'm, saying, I'm separating you from all that is sinful, all that is wrong. I'm separating you. And he goes on, he says, and then cleansing. Cleansing. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When I come to him, I'm as dirty as can be. But he's cleansing me. He's cleansing me. It's not about your past life. He's cleansing you from the past. And he goes on there and he says, he's cleansing us by the washing with water. Now, look where Satan wants to keep you from. From water through the word. How many of you used to fight mom getting in the water? How many times would mom say sometimes, go, go take a bath? Go take a bath? And yet you just want to stay dirty? No. You need to go take the bath. The word is what washes us. Every time we get into God's word, it's washing us. It's cleansing us. In the mind and the heart. It's cleansing us. It's fleshing stuff out of us. Those impurities that shouldn't be there. It's washing those things out. And so many people hate to get in the word. And then they wonder if, why they're living the type of life they're living. If you don't have direction for your life through the word of God. Not through the pastor. Not through the Sunday school teacher. But directly from the word of God and God ministering to you, you won't leave those things. And he says, boy, I'm cleansing you through the word. I'm cleansing you through the word. And I'm doing it for this reason. To present her to himself or to myself. Or to my See, when I was dating Elaine, boy, I loved her dad. Because Lane had to be home by 11 o'clock. I could drop Elaine off at 11 o'clock, go on out to the hidey hole for a while. <laughs> See? 
throwing out the Bartees for a while. Hey, hey. She'd be at home safe. I know she's safe. I know ain't nobody else talking to her, messing with her. She's at home. But I'm out. But and that's to no input. <laughs> but the thing is, is this. He is cleansing her to present her to who? Himself. The reason God is working in your life is to present you without spot or wrinkle to himself. That he doesn't see your past sin, he doesn't see this, he doesn't see that. When you stand before him, all he sees is the beauty of the creation that God created from the very beginning. And all he can do is say, wow, wow, wow. Amen? Father, thank you for your word and Lord, as we just continue in this subject on fourth, fourth Sunday, would you help us to be mindful, oh God, that we have a responsibility of cleansing our lives because you've given us the tools to do it with. You've given us your word to cleanse our life, to cleanse our minds. You've given us everything we have need of that we can present ourselves as a sinless bride, a virgin before you. Would you help us, O oh God, to desire to do that? That there would really be a want-to in our hearts, a willingness that comes from us, that we want to stand before you as virgins, spotless, wrinkle-free, sin-free, because you have made it possible that we can do so. That you can present us to yourself. And all you can do is say, wow, what a beautiful bride. And Lord, give us a desire to run after you, to chase after you. You have come, you have sought us, you have called us unto yourself. Now, Lord, cause us to want to run after you, to love you deeply. And, Lord, we'll give you praise and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God has smiled on me. He has
honesty that you know God has smiled on you? Can you say that God has really helped you in time of need? See, we need to know the one we serve, not just from a mental aspect, but from a heart. But from the heart. And I hope that you really can identify that God is the one who's keeping you, has blessed you, and will continue to do so. Amen? Let's pray. Father, as we prepare to leave this place, but never your sight, never your presence, we pray, oh God, that as you have equipped us to be able to live a godly life, to live holy, to live in such a way in which it is pleasing unto you, would you give us the strength, the ability, and the mind to do so? Satan has buffeted us. Satan has beat us up. Satan has stolen so much from us. And we pray, Father, that you would be the restorer of that Lord which we have lost in life. A love for you, give us that love. A desire to walk with you, give us that desire. A wanting to be in your presence and just linger in your presence. Would you make it so? Father, there is so much that we have need of that can only come from you. And we're asking, Lord, because you tell us we have not because we ask not. We're asking these things because only you and you alone can meet the desperate need of our hearts. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.
Do I pay you now or you pay me whenever you